Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone. It's kind of like we have our own bouncer. I kind of like that back there. Just feel <laughs> get, 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 get comfortable. Be, be <laughs> it, it happens. Well, man, I'm, I'm excited about this morning. I'm, I'm excited about um, what God's been putting in our heart. Um, we've been studying through Acts and just what the church is and and, and what it's supposed to look like. And, and if you've noticed anything this past year, that's really been my heart because I just, I believe in the local church. I think we are plan A and there is no plan B, as David Platt would put it. And, and God has put us together. And so it has been just so joyful for me. If you haven't gotten anything out of it, I have because I've just really enjoyed just studying and seeing how the church kind of grew and moved. And I just believe with all my heart that the same things that happened then when we read about thousands coming to know and just this explosion of God in a, in a, in a culture and in a community, I, b- I believe with all my heart that still can happen today. Um, the only difference is us and them and, and how we approach it. And so, so this morning I'm really excited as we continue to kind of travel through this. Um, but we're not going to be spending a lot of time in Acts because this is something that's very special and precious to my heart. And it's this idea of what we leave behind. Um, I use that word an awful lot, legacy. Um, what, what will be your legacy or what's the legacy you come from and everything? And I feel very blessed that, um, you know, I had the privilege of growing up in, in a Christian home. I had the privilege of growing up in a, in a generational Christian home where there have been pastors and there have been missionaries and stuff. And I literally this morning I stand upon the shoulders of those that have gone before me and everything and about people investing in me. And I've spent my life. Um, my entire adult life, figuring out how do I invest in others and stuff. What will I leave behind? And so that's what I want to challenge us with this morning um, and probably one of the greatest pictures of what a relational discipleship looks like because that's the key, guys, and we're going to talk about that. It's about raising up disciples, people that are following Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, we have them here available for you. Um, If you don't have one, you can take it, put your name in it, we'll buy more. Um, but keep that. If you'd rather use the Wi-Fi, use your electronic device, just type in, um, find our Wi-Fi. It's GBC Guest. Just type in find more, all lower caps, and you can join us there. Um, but as always and forever, again, this morning, I tell you, these are the only words that matter. Um, it's the only authority I have. It's the only reason we can be a church is because of these words here. And they're the only ones that actually change lives and change hearts. And so out of respect, and I'll acknowledge for that, I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me as we read in Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Luke writes this, he says, Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Will you pray for me? God, I just thank you um, once again this morning for allowing us to come together. Father, I thank you that we didn't have to ask for you to join us. You were here waiting for us. God, and this morning you have something to say to me, to my heart, to everyone's heart here, God. You know exactly what needs to be said. You know exactly what needs to be done. So, Father, we pray your will be done here as it is in heaven. 
God, we just ask that you would move in our midst, Father, that you would challenge us this morning, God, as we look at this idea of investing in others and, and pouring into each other. And, and, and God, I just pray that you would just meet us where we're at. God, that these would be your words, not mine. God, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, and God, just change us. God, have your way this morning. Father, we pray and ask that you give us ears to hear, hearts to respond, and the courage to live it out. And in the end, may you get all the glory and all the praise. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So kind of what, what's going on here is um, last week we talked about, you know, this idea of uh, the church and the and the, um, the Jews were kind of, there were some Jews sitting there going, well, here's the law and and you have to get circumcised. And so there's this big rugamaroo, you know, this big kind of thing that they had meeting and they came all together and said, no, the leaders and said, here's what we expect and all of a sudden. So we talked about that last week about not putting roadblocks in the way and, and, and making way and all. <coughs> All of a sudden we see Paul heading back out. He, he's going out. He's reporting to the churches. But he takes somebody with him, this guy named Timothy. And, and it's, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of a relationship of someone, a spiritual father and a spiritual son and, and everything. And so I, I, I love it because Paul believed with all his heart and his ministry style was this idea of a life on a life. Because when it comes down to it, our faith is all about relationships. It really is. It is a very relational. God is a very relational God. That's why Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, he says to call him Father. It's all relational terms. And when we gather together and we come together, it's relationships. Um, if you're just coming here to hear somebody preach and there's no investing in each other, it's not going to last very long. It's not very worthwhile very long. And, and so it's, it's about sharing our lives together. And Paul and Timothy had a very special relationship. Um, I, I know Paul just fought the thing about, like, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. But Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who married a Greek. And Paul saw in Timothy the, the ability and, and, and the, the skills and, and, the, and the talents that one day he would be a great leader in the church. And so, as we talked a little bit last week, so not to be an offense to all the Jews that he was speaking to, he's like, hey, we're just, we're going to circumcise you. It didn't, it's not a change from last week that you have to have Jesus and. It's still only Jesus. But again, it's that idea that I'm not going to be an offense to other people. And so Paul takes Timothy along, and there's a very, very special, it's like a father and son. And you see that through the rest of the New Testament, how Paul talks about Timothy. Read First and Second Timothy and just hear his words um, to him and, and how he feels. But, but the idea is that they shared lives. It wasn't about just preaching a sermon. It wasn't just about going to class or, or, or gathering together and having a prayer meeting. It was about actually sharing lives day to day, having meals together, working together, talking together, going through all this stuff. In fact, that was Paul's vision. That was his heart. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he says, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become so become dear to us. I love that Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, that did more <coughs> for churches being started than anybody else. In, in fact, if it wasn't for a person like Paul, I doubt that we would have a church here this morning. That, that he was a guy, he says, not only the gospel, but we shared our lives. We were invested in one another. And I think we've lost that in a lot of our churches. I think desperately we lost that in our culture. 
I feel so sad for this generation that's coming up. Because I think you've lost the idea of what a relationship looks like. And it's, I'm sorry, it's not a Facebook post. It's not a Twitter feed or how many followers you have. We, we've lost the ability to mean, and we see that breakdown in our culture because of it. We, we see the breakdown in our country. That, I mean, this used to be a place where we could just debate and disagree and do all that stuff, but we could just hang out and be friends. Now it's all opinions and it's Facebook posts. Or it's a tweet. And, and, and that, that's it. And, and so we've lost this idea of what relationships, and I think people are hungering for that. And I don't think there's any better place on the planet than the church for people to find that once again. Because that, that's what it should be. You know, I, I think church should be messy because life is messy. I, I think church is a place where anybody can come, no matter what their background is, what wherever they come from, no matter what they've done. This is a place that we all have common ground, and we can build upon that. But it's about relationships. There is no solo Christian anywhere in Scripture. There is always a community. There is always someone investing in or you investing in. So that's what I want to challenge you with this morning. I I want us to kind of step out of our comfort zone, step out of this idea that it's all about me. My father was a West Virginia hillbilly. And grew up, and he was a very private man. He was a very quiet man. And it took until just months before his passing that I heard about his faith for the first time because it was always private. And I feel bad for him that he missed out on so much because it's about us pouring into each other. It's about us sharing, not just the pastor, but every single person. So the first question I have for you this morning is, who's your Paul? Who's your Paul? Who's someone that is investing in you? I want you to think back in your faith life. Who's someone that just stopped and poured into you? Look over at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Listen to the words that Paul's writing to Timothy. And this is at the end of his life, Paul's life. And he knows that like time is coming. And so he's trying to just dump into Timothy all that he can. But look at, starting at verse 13. Look at what he says. He says to Timothy, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Anyway, I, I've made deposits. I, I have poured into you. You and I are here today because somebody invested in us. Be it a parent, be it a friend, be it a pastor, be it somebody. But somebody took time to invest in us. I don't know anybody that just kind of just shows up randomly to church. I know it happens every so often. Just people like God leads them and just like I felt compelled to do that. That's not the norm. Usually it's someone that's just poured in. There have been seeds planted year after year and they've been watered and stuff. And so my question for you is, is who poured into you? Think about that for a second. Picture that person's in your life. And if you've never had that person, if you are just like, hey, I just kind of showed up randomly, I saw it on Google, I thought maybe I should go back to church, then let's talk. Because we all need a Paul. We all need somebody that has gone on before us. We all need somebody that is a little bit farther down the road. I know I do. I talk to pastors around town all the time and just like, hey, how did you guys handle this? How did you do that? And stuff. I talk. There's one gentleman, my first boss in ministry ever. He's a retired colonel. From the army. His name's Jim Meredith. Creepy, scary guy. 
He always looks like he's smiling. You remember the Joker? I mean, that's, that's him. He always looked like he was just smiling all the time, and you knew he wasn't smiling. I always brought my wife because he loved my wife when he called me into the office because I knew he wouldn't yell at me if my wife was there. <laughs> I knew I was in trouble when he said, Sherry, step out of the office for a minute. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. But that guy would call me, and, and to this day, I still uh, randomly get emails from him. He's like, hey, how's your marriage? And he asked hard questions. He asked crazy questions like, hey, have you watched any pornography? Have you thought about anybody other than your wife? Have you done this? I mean, it's like it's like he's my grandpa. I'm like, ew, stop. I don't want to talk about this stuff with you. But, I mean, he does. But that investment, I can think through my life. My, <coughs> my youth pastor, my pastor, leaders, adult leaders that have just poured into me through my life. Think about that person because we have all had a Paul. You guys have shown up like Sunday after Sunday and heard sermons and, and heard like messages and, and challenges and, and all this stuff. And, and deposits are being made in you. My question for you is, what are you doing with it? Then? I mean, is it just kind of going in one ear and out the other? That's why I felt like with my daughters most of the time they were growing up. I'd say something and go out and now they start saying stuff. Wait. Young people, I just want you, one day you will sound like your father. I remember the day. I remember the day that I said something to my kids, and I called my, my sister in tears. and like, I've become daddy. <laughs> oh, my gosh, what happened? What are you doing with what's being invested in you? Because deposits are being made, and if it's just sitting there doing nothing, then why are you wasting your time? I just I don't understand why people go to church and they don't leave changed. Why people go to church week after week and nothing's different from their life outside. I mean, football season started. There's a lot of stuff you can do. But we 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 have a Paul. So I, I just want you to think who who is that Paul and what are you doing with that? Because that that's what happens in Second Timothy two one and two. Look at what he says. He says, "You therefore, my son." Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul was saying, listen, Timothy, I poured into you. I've invested in you. I've made deposits in you. So be strong in that. But not only be strong in that, you need to do something with it. And with our faith, the idea is that if I receive something in faith, if I receive something, then my job is to take that and pass it on. And I think that's where the problem has come, because now if you had a Paul, then I have a question. Who's your Timothy? Who's that person that you're investing in right now? Who's that person you're pouring into? There is someone coming behind you. I don't care how old you are. If you're a teenager, there's a child coming behind you. If you're if you're a 20 something, there's a teenager coming behind you. If you're a 30 or 40-something, there's a 20-something. There is always someone coming behind you. And so my question for us is, who's your Timothy? Who's that person you're pouring, in, pouring into? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Starting at... Whew, I think I've missed the thing. Wives, too, must... Okay, no, that's probably not what I wanted to say. Chapter 4, excuse me. I know. We'll talk about women some other day when my wife's here. <laughs> and I'll get in trouble. 
Listen to this. In chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Command and teach these things. Don't let any, anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, give your attention to the public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I love this. Paul saying, listen, all this stuff that has been given to you, all these things that have been important to you, you need to pass it on to someone else. You, you need to pour in to someone else. Because I'm telling you, there's an entire world out there right now of young people, of people coming behind us that have giftings and have talents beyond belief. And they need to be released. They need to be invested in. They're, they're passionate about life. This generation, above any generation that we have seen in a very long time, is so cause-driven, it's crazy. I just want you to think about it. I, I mean, look at the stuff that we do, the causely of checking in on Facebook and stuff, is driven by this millennial generation. They don't want to just go to church. They want to make a difference in the world. They go out and spend years somewhere, and they, they go out and they get shoes for everyone that needs shoes, or they dig wells, and they do stuff. They're so cause-driven. The problem is, is all their causes are driven just by, like, I just want to feel like I'm making an impact. And, and i got to tell you, the only lasting impact you're ever going to make is if you know Jesus and if you share Jesus. They just need direction. They need focus. And, and so we each should have a, a Timothy. We should each have someone that we are pouring into. It might be a son. It might be a daughter. But I guarantee you, if you look down your street, there's someone down your neighborhood that needs somebody to pour into. When I was in youth ministry back in the 90s, they did a survey. Early 2000s, 90s, they did a survey. You know what the number one need for, for parents for their kids were at that time? They thought was the most important need? Safety. They just wanted to be safe at school. I mean, that was after Columbine and all that stuff, and that stuff was going on crazy. They wanted safety. You know what kids said the number one needs they were? Was someone outside of their home to pour into them and invest in them. Show us what life is really supposed to be about. And so I ask you again, who's your Timothy? Hopefully you have a Paul. Hopefully you have someone still pouring into you and speaking into you and stuff. But who are you speaking into? Who are you doing? Thing. Everyone has a Timothy that needs to be made ready. There is someone, I, I believe without a shadow of a doubt this morning, that there's no act, this is no accident you're a church here this morning. It's no accident you live where you are, you're in the job you are. I think we, live, we, we serve and follow a sovereign God that places all the pieces of the puzzle together. And you're at a place right now because there's someone there that needs to see Jesus. There's someone there that needs to be invested in, poured into. And yet we get so busy and wrapped up in our own lives, we forget about what's going on around us. And then we complain that the world's just going crazy and stupid and nobody, people are saying dumb things and nobody knows what they're doing, but we're not doing anything about it. And we are called to invest in one another. We are called to invest in each other. We are called to look for our Timothys. We are commanded to pour into because we have been poured into so much. We've become a culture of Ebenezer Scrooges. And I got to tell you, there are spirits coming to meet you. And it's not going to be pleasant.
if you hold on to it. Every one of us has someone they can invest in. And it can't be just the pastor. It can't be just this, the small group leader or, or this. It is every one of us is called to invest and to pour into someone else and help them to be ready. Help them to move on and, and to do that. Listen, listen to what he says. 2 Timothy 4.2, he says, Proclaim the message. Persist in whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great presence patience and teaching he's telling listen you poured in now proclaim it here's a message here's a purpose here's a here's a driving factor inside of you to go out and and share this how can we keep this to ourselves if you have any relationship with jesus you have any thoughts of what he's done for you how can we keep that to ourselves Dare we not invest in someone else as we've been invested in? See, I think the church has become a meeting, not a community. In communities, we share, we invest in one another. We, we kind of, I, I remember growing up, and we didn't have subdivisions. The only gated community was that rich guy, and that was his house, and it was big enough for a community. Everybody else, we lived on streets, and we lived in neighborhoods. And, and every Saturday, everyone would come to my front yard because we had this huge palm tree, and it was great for home base so we could play baseball in my front yard. My dad bought so many windows while I was learning to play baseball. But everyone came together, and I remember you know, the older kids. That, lived, uh, that played baseball, they taught the youngers, like, hey, here's how you play, here's how you hold the bat, and here's how you do this. Or we play football together, we do something, but there's always someone kind of pouring into it. Why has that stopped? More than anything, why has that stopped in the church? Where we have something so much better than some sport, or some craft, or some, some talent that we can be investing in. You know, my generation complains about the younger generation, the millennials. I don't even think they call you that anymore. I don't know whether I think you're like generation like poopy face. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They keep changing the name. Every time I read a new article, I'm like, what, what's this? I don't know what it is. But we complain, but we don't do anything about it. We don't take time to say, hey, let's go have some coffee. Let's start investing in one another. Let, let's do that. And, and again, I, I think one of the issues is we come to church and say, well, pastor, that's your job. It's not my job. I can't do it. I remember when I was in youth ministry, before we came here, I went to a church. And there was like 10, 10 teenagers. That was it. And they were a nice little holy huddle and everything. And the first thing I did, they're like, you got to build a youth ministry. You got, you know, we need numbers. We need numbers. We need numbers. And the first thing I did is I recruited like 12 leaders. I'm like, we have more leaders than kids. I'm like, I know. Wait. And I invested in leaders and said, listen, here's your job. You've got to find five kids. What are the five kids? What are the five kids, four or five kids that God's put in your heart? And I want you just to invest in them. And all of a sudden, youth ministry started growing because we had all these leaders that were investing in just people. And, and kids stopped coming into like youth ministry and say, hey, Pastor Tony, wow, that, you're awesome and stuff. They'd walk past me and go hug Billy. 
for somebody else. Because they're like, that's what I'm investing in. See, it's my job to equip you so that you can go equip others. That's the way it's always been, and we're supposed to invest in, and we have a generation, we have people so dying for some direction. There are things you have gone through. There are young men, young women that are getting married that have no idea what it means to live in a biblical marriage. We have young men that have no idea what it means to be a man. They think being a man is because I play Xbox and I shot a bunch of people on Halo and like, I'm a man, I'm a man. They have no idea what it means to be a man, what it means to take responsibility and to lead a family. There are young ladies that have no idea what it means to to submit and to love their husband and support and, and to be that be that spiritual heart and the I look around this room and I see people that have gone through that and I'm telling you there are people there are Timothys and Timotheas out there that need us to get off our butts and start doing what God has commanded us to do you see in the end we're called to make disciples I want you to think about that. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. I, I've talked to people and says, no, I, I go door to door, knocking door, and I've seen like hundreds and hundreds of people saved, and yet none of those people are in church. I've been part of ministries where it was more about getting butts in the seats, and then we didn't see any life change. And then while it's over, we have churches full of those. We have churches full of people that have thousands of people that come, sit, they sing some songs, they listen to a message, they go out, and there's nothing different. You know why the world's the way it is? It's because we stopped making disciples. We're not called to make clones, and we're not called to make converts. We are called to make disciples, and the only way we do that is when we invest in each other. And I'm not saying you have to have all the answers. I'm not saying you have to know everything and know the Greek and the Hebrew and, and have like giant libraries of stuff so that you can, you can exegete all the stuff. Isn't that a nice word? That's a nice word. I, that was a cuss word in Bible college, exegete, because that was a long pages. So. I'm not saying you have, all you have to do is know what you know and pass it on. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to make clones. I've worked with those people. Well, if they're going to come to church here, they need to do this, this, and wear this, and look like that, and everything. I'm like, no. We're not called to make clones. And we're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. I don't know when it happened. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow in the church, evangelism and discipleship became two separate things. When there are two sides of the same coin. I'm always harking on you. Share the gospel. 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 Tell your story. Let God do the rest. Let God change. But once you tell that story and people are changing, then don't just leave them there and say, okay, good luck. <laughs> How many of you would take a baby and say, oh, the baby's born. It's good. All right. Uh, I'm going to put it on the side of the road. Get a job. Good luck. <laughs> well, that's what we do. We don't invest in each other anymore, and that's what we need to do. And I'm telling you, if you want explosive growth in the church, then yes, we can get like professional bands and lasers and lights and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and all kinds of stuff, and people will show up and they'll not be changed. But if you want to build the church, and you want to see the church grow, then we will share the gospel and then we will invest in each other in such a way that we're reproducing. And they are reproducing. And they are pouring in. I want to build a culture of mentorship 
in this church. I want to build a culture that every single person, no matter what their age is, there's someone that's watching them. There's someone that they can invest in. And that will grow this church. And that will change this community when we start investing in, in one another. I love this. When, when I had ministry, I used, to, I used to always tell my leaders, this is the verses I want you to memorize. In Titus 2, 6 or 8, he says, In the same way, encourage young men and young women to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. You know why the world has so many bad things to say about the church? Because we're not being the church. We're not passing on. We're not investing. We're not pouring in. We're not telling the hard truths. And so all they're doing is talking bad about us. But when we live the way God has called us to live, when we are pouring it into other people, when we are sharing what God has done for us and sharing it with one another and investing in one another, the world's going to look and say, what is going on here? There's nothing bad we can say about them. Because communities are changing. Needs are being met. Lives are changing. Because we're doing it we're doing it God's way. We are called to make disciples. This is one of the reasons I'm so hot and heavy right now on these small groups. Because I think discipleship happens in relationship. I don't think discipleship happens so much on a Sunday morning. I think we worship I think we gather and, and it unites us, but I think discipleship happens in relationship. I think discipleship happens when we open up our homes and ask our neighbors to come in. And let's talk about the purpose of life. What on earth are we here for? Let's open the Bible and see what it says. Let's have some coffee and let's talk about life. Let's share our life on life on life on life. I think that's when lives are changed. I think it's, it's a huge deal. It is... It is it is our plan for growth this year, is these small groups. But not only numbers, because here's what's amazing what happens. When, when we start giving our faith away, when we start investing in others, we grow. Do you know that? When you start like pouring into somebody else and you start saying, here's what God has done for me and, and here's what's happening in my life, something happens to you and something starts changing. You start getting more understanding. You start, under, you start living it out and fleshing it out. It becomes more real to you and you grow in your faith and understanding. I got to tell you, the best discipleship plan I've ever seen or ever been a part of is when I taught students how to share the gospel and made them go do it. And then made them follow up with them. We, we used to run a program called First Priority throughout, throughout the county and through all the central Florida area and stuff. And we had like 12 schools that, that people were showing up. And every week, kids would get up and they would share the testimony. We taught them how to share your testimony. And then we taught them how to share the gospel. And then as follow-up, it was their job to go and meet those kids, that their friends, and invite them to church, take them to church, sit with them, answer their questions. I love it. I used to always stand up here when like someone would bring a kid. And it's like, hey, my friend wants to accept Jesus. I'm like, cool, lead him. I don't know how. He says, okay, I'll do the first one. And then afterwards, talk to him. He says, now you need to meet with them for weeks and weeks and weeks, just talking about what this means as faith and everything. That's when growth happens. When we start giving stuff away, we start getting more. 
That's God's economy. I know it doesn't make sense in the world, but when we start giving stuff away, when we start being generous in our finances and our time and everything, God blesses and we get more. We can never outgive God. When we start investing our faith, our faith grows. If your faith is stagnant, if your faith is kind of like it's been just here this entire life, I'm just kind of nominal and I'm right here, I'm going to tell you why. Because you're holding on to it and you're not giving it away. That's the truth. Churches have flatlined because people have stopped being the church outside the walls. And they're play acting inside the walls. Being a church is not singing songs and, and listening to a sermon. Being a church is going out and making disciples. Every one of us. And I love that we have this example of Paul because what happens when when we don't, when we take our lessons, I mean, it, it, it's the lesson of the talents. Remember that story? Jesus told the talents, you know, one guy was given one, one guy was given like two or three, one guy was given five. The two or three and the five guy, they went and invested it and they doubled their investment. The king was all good. The guy with one talent just sat there and said, I kept it safe. I didn't show anyone. It's right here, see? <laughs> okay, here's your one talent back. That guy got thrown in prison. What God has poured into us, what others have poured into us, is not meant for us to keep to ourselves. Now i got to tell you, we're, 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 we're a two or three talent church, okay? We're small. But God can take that two or three and make it 30 or 40, 300 or 3,000. God can take it if we're investing in one another. That's the lesson of the talents that we take what's been given to us and we invest it into someone else. You want to see this community change? Listen, I, I walked around City Walk all week this week looking at young men, young women, lost as they could be, trying to fill their lives with anything but God. Last night I literally had to stop I was so heavy laden. Like one of, the, one of my security officer buddies came up to me. He was like, hey, are you okay? Are you going to pass out? I was like, it is so sad. They're just looking for someone to lead them. They're just looking for someone to pour into them. And not pour rum into them. Or whiskey. But something real. It is our job to make disciples, and it is all of us that are called to do it. When we don't do it, when we just make church, like I go to him, we make grace cheap. We cheapen what Christ has done. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer and one of his strongest statements I think that he ever made. He said this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without the requiring of repentance. I'm here, we hear that in churches all the time. Like, hey, you just be forgiven. But we don't ask for any life change or repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. When we hold our faith and we don't, we don't share and we don't invest... We cheapen what Christ has done for us.
I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but I don't care if you do, if you're feeling a little guilty and stuff like that, because I feel that way. I just one thing, guilt is never of God. Conviction is, but not guilt. We are called to make disciples at every single one of us. There is a Paul that's investing in you. And if there's not one right now, then I challenge you, find somebody. Find that old pastor. Find that person. Say, hey, will you just like pour into me? Will you just, can we talk every month or can we talk once a week or whatever? I mean, call me. If I'm too busy, I'll tell you. It's like, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I'll be honest with you. But we need someone to pour into us. But then we have got to find somebody to pour into and pass it on. And share it because we are called to make disciples. At the end of it all, my last question for you this morning is what are you going to leave behind? There's only two things we take to heaven and to eternity with us. Our faith and the others we have led there. That's the only things. What are you going to leave behind? Let's pray.